Ukraine's fight against corruption, is it effective? You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Fighting corruption is an essential element of Ukraine's EU integration. To understand the EU perspective on this process, we spoke to Alan Pak Christensen, a Danish diplomat who heads the EU anti-corruption initiative in Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can also support our volunteer trips to the frontline areas at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Alan Park Christensen, welcome to this podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks for inviting. So we are talking in Kiev and you're heading the EU anti-corruption initiative. And obviously there is a lot of talk today how Ukraine copes with corruption. And uh, we understand that this is one of the more, maybe one of the biggest obstacles, one of the biggest obstacles for the Western support to Ukraine. All this you know, information, disinformation, misinformation, rumors that Ukraine is not really coping with corruption. And you're the person who leads the project, which probably the best place to evaluate it from the EU side. So what is your evaluation? Well, um, I think it's, uh, it's widely known that, uh, that Ukraine has uh, an issue with corruption and uh, it has been like that for many years. Uh, it didn't stop with Russia's invasion uh, a little more than one year ago. And um, it is difficult to measure uh, the level of corruption in a society. I think the best uh, um, indicator we have is the uh, ranking that uh, Transparent International is doing once a year. In the last uh, ranking, published just a few weeks ago, uh, Ukraine was country number 116 out of 180, um, together with, uh, with Zambia, uh, the Philippines, uh, El Salvador. Um, and um, if you look at where the EU countries are placed on that, uh, on that list, uh, you will find the first one you will find coming from the bottom of the list will be Bulgaria, uh, 72. Uh, so there's quite a gap. Um, I think, of course, it's also worth mentioning that um, um, while Ukraine uh, for, for this year is 116, uh, the year before Ukraine was 122, and going, we, if we go just a few years back in time, uh, Ukraine was one, uh, country number 142. So there are some progress. Um, and, um, uh, and I think it's also important that we do not attach too much uh, importance to uh, an index like this. It's uh, mainly based on surveys. I mean, pop, uh, people's perception of corruption is not the actual corruption we, we measure. So... Um, so one need to, to think about that when, when looking at the figures, uh, because one, one um, I think, significant development that has happened uh, in Ukraine during the last few years, mainly after the Maidan in, in 2014, uh, the Revolution of Dignity, is that, um, that you now have this set of, of institutions in place that are independent, uh, that... Um, um, where you have you have the detectives that are doing the investigations in Nabu, you have 
the, the special anti-corruption prosecutors, and you have the high anti-corruption court. Uh, and um, in the past, where you uh, um, had quite a number of cases where high-level officials, politicians, ministers um, could get away with more or less everything. If they were corrupt, um, they were like untouchable in the system. Um, that's not so anymore. Uh, you do have uh, a minister, a deputy minister, you have uh, uh, public prosecutors, you have CEOs of public enterprises that end up in the high anti-corruption court, some of them behind bars, some of them for many years in prison. Uh, and I think that um, that is the most significant thing that has happened in Ukraine in, in, in terms of fighting corruption. Um, the program I represent has been uh, um, uh, one of the driving forces behind that uh, uh, that development. And, and um, uh, besides, I mean, uh, you have these concrete uh, cases um, that end up in court. It also have, I think, a major preventive effect. I mean, um, high-level officials knowing that they might end up behind bars if they do something that they shouldn't do. Um, it might prevent, prevent them and somehow uh, make them think once again uh, if this is, uh, should I take part in this arrangement or not. So, um, so clearly corruption remains an issue uh, and I think will do so for quite some time um, on many different levels in the Ukrainian society. Um, but uh, we also see some progress, especially on the, on the high-level cases. Um, you can say then you have the uh, uh, the uh, everyday corruption uh, that uh, uh, I think many Ukrainians meet uh, when when uh, when they have uh, uh, when they are engaging with schools or the medical system or they need a permit from the local municipality, um, uh, and that's somehow another kind of corruption um, that uh, I think probably will be more difficult to, to, to overcome uh, because it's, um, it's something structural. It has been there for many years. Uh, um, and um, uh, I think you, you, you even meet uh, Ukrainian families that uh, do not see it as corruption, but it's just uh, the practice of everyday life in Ukraine. You need to pay some extra to get a, a better treatment or a better grade in, in school or um, be able to deliver your, your uh, thesis at university. Um, so, um, so, um, so in that regard, there's the need for a, really a preventive uh, um, effort, um, uh, awareness raising. Um, uh, but when it comes to the high-level uh, cases, um, uh, with, the, with the setup we now have with these institutions, I think actually that Ukraine is on the right track here. This, uh, if these uh, ratings which you mentioned, um, I kind of also have suspicion towards them because uh, it measures the level of discontent of citizens rather than the objective uh, objective reality. And uh, if you ask a citizen whether you, what is your evaluation of corruption, I mean, in Ukraine people are hostile to the state because this is a long tradition of, you know, that the state is somebody else, it's us versus... It's them versus us citizens. And uh, you can find a situation when a person, a particular person, has never faced corruption, but he or she thinks that the corruption is everywhere. What do you think? 
No, that's true. Uh, it, it, it is... Uh, it is an issue, and that's also why it's so difficult to measure uh, corruption. Um, uh, and um, some of these uh, um, surveys that are, are made, uh, uh, I mean, they, they show exactly what you mentioned here, that uh, that um, the person that is asked the question, did you uh, pay a bribe uh, during the last year? And, and, uh, um, and quite few people will say, yes, I did. But they will say that, yes, they know many who received a bribe, but they did not themselves. Hmm? Uh, so I think there is something about that, uh, what you mentioned here, that uh, the perception, uh, it, it's, it's, um, that there's clearly a, a difference between the perception and, and then the actual level of corruption. I personally can say as a citizen that, of course, there is an improvement of the situation. I mean... There is no longer problem of bribes to petrol police because of, because of the reform of, and I think well transparency transparency of public administration services has also led to diminishing the level of corruption. Would you agree with that? Certainly, I would, um, and uh, I think that's another success uh, story from Ukraine. Uh, the whole Prosoro uh, public uh, uh, um, uh, system you use for, for public purchases. Um, uh, that is, it's, it's online, it's transparent, everyone has access to it. Uh, and and, and uh, the, the authorities are, are uh, obliged to use it. Uh, so each time you have a, 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 a purchase from, from, from a public institution, they need to, uh, to have a competition. Um, and um, it's, it's not it's not perfect uh, and uh, there are also cases where where, where, where some uh, authorities are uh, um, somehow avoid using the system but 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 in general I think it's it's, it's working quite well and, and it has been one of the success stories in, in fighting uh, corruption in Ukraine there were recently some scandals, uh, corruption scandals, like, and, and there were some dismissal firing of uh, high-level officials, like the deputy, uh, the deputy of uh, presidential office, and then there is a case right now about the director of uh, Motorsich, uh, one of the biggest enterprises, who is also suspected in in um, in uh, uh, treachery, right? State treachery, state treason. Uh, do you think that these cases show that there is a big problem of corruption, or they show that anti-corruption bodies have been have become more efficient? Good question. I would, I think, like to put it uh, into into the context of, of the war as well, um, because what what happened uh, with uh, after Russia's invasion was that uh, uh, Ukraine uh, introduced the, the martial law uh, in Ukraine. I think. Uh, for a country at war, it's it's uh, what you need to do for for security reasons. Uh, but it also meant that some, uh, for instance, some uh, registers that were open for the public in the past are no longer open for the public. Uh, some of the checks and balances in the system are somehow reduced, um, and um, um, and it has like, a, like you mean you mean this registry of uh, of property of this declaration of officials exactly. which officials are no longer obliged Ex to, to exactly. submit exactly mm -hmm. uh, which by the way uh, another uh, i think a good story from ukraine this uh, e declaration system that was established a few years ago now and and uh, and where all uh, high level officials politicians ministers uh, need to declare 
their income and their assets uh, uh, of them and their families. Uh, and actually, a lot of the information that are there uh, in this register are then uh, uh, later on um, um, being used in, 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 in cases in the, in the high anti-corruption court. So it, it, that's, that's actually um, a good example. So, so some of these registers are no longer publicly accessible. Uh, and, um, and for um, some of the civil society partners we work with uh, and the free media, uh, they have somehow lost a tool here that they used in, 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 um, in, um, in being like the watchdogs, keeping an eye on the authorities and the officials. Uh, and, and that's actually an issue uh, for them. We, we hear it from them very often. Um, another thing that happened was that um, uh, many journalists, uh, civil society organizations, the media, um, they, um, they have kept a low profile in, in corruption uh, issues. Uh, and clearly, uh, I think they didn't want to play into Russian propaganda. Uh, and they um, uh, didn't want somehow to uh, question the, um, uh, their loyalty to, uh, to, uh, to the leadership of the country in times of war. So they kept a low profile. Um, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we, we haven't heard uh, about corruption in Ukraine for, for many months. Um, and then what happened in January? Uh, at least in, 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 um, in our reading here at the program, um, was that suddenly you have some journalists that no longer shy away from raising some of these issues. Um, you mentioned the, um, uh, within the, the military, the Ministry of Defense, uh, that story uh, uh, began with an investigation by, by a journalist into the price uh, paid for, for uh, foodstuff. Um, and... Um, um, I think there's like a sense of um, of a bit more public space for discussing the future of the country, reconstruction, corruption. Um, so uh, actually, from from our perspective, that that's a, that's a positive uh, development. And then, of course, there's the other thing that you mentioned that um, uh, we saw the. Um, the NABU detectives uh, taking a deputy uh, minister uh, uh, when receiving a bribe, 400,000 US dollars, shows that, they, I mean, they, they have the, the, the capacity to do so, they have the tools, they have the will, and no one can stop them. I mean, a few years ago, it would be unbelievable, uh, a deputy minister taking with $400,000. Um, so yes, it also shows that... Um, that uh, these new bodies that have been created, they're actually working and they're doing a job. Uh, and uh, I'm, 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 uh, I mean, in some of these corruption cases that uh, began in January, um, um, some are already being charged, uh, and uh, some I'm sure will end up in the high corruption court, and and will be, and uh, the corrupt officials will will will, will be punished. Um, so far, of course, it's uh, if it's. Uh, uh, we talk about possible corruption cases. No one is, is guilty yet. I think that's important for me to say, of course. When you, uh, when you look at these anti-corruption institutions, this architecture of anti-corruption institutions, do you think it is already complete? Because 
there is a national anti-corruption bureau, then there is an agency of preventing corruption, then there is anti-corruption prosecutor and anti-corruption court, uh, and uh, the uh, the national uh, the state investigative agency uh, bureau. Do uh, do you think it is complete? Because under uh, a few years ago, under Poroshenko presidency, there was a long talk that he actually the Poroshenko administration was not really accelerating the establishment of the anti-corruption court. Now it is established. Is it fine? Is it can function um, properly? I think the, 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 the short answer is, is yes. Uh, we do now have the institutions in place that is needed, that are needed. Um, uh, you mentioned them. We, we have NABU, uh, the, the Anti-Corruption Bureau, the Special Anti-Corruption uh, anti Prosecutors, High Anti-Corruption Court. Uh, we have the uh, Prevention Agency, I think also important to mention here. Um, so you actually have the chain of institutions you need. And the last one was the High Anti-Corruption Court, and, 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 and clearly that, uh, that marked a, a very significant uh, uh, development. Um, but it doesn't mean that uh, everything is perfect. Uh, and um, um, what, what has impressed us uh, working with these uh, partners during the last year uh, is that um, um, that even though the, the, the war um, has created quite a number of challenges for them, uh, they have many of their staff in the army, they have uh, many that fled uh, the country, um, they uh, have uh, uh, gone through some severe budget cuts uh, of their institutions, uh, but, but, but they continue working. Uh, we, we even have some of our partners, for instance, the High Anti-Corruption Court, uh, that uh, processed more cases this year, uh, 22 than in 21, uh, quite impressive. Um, but, but some of the challenges we, see, we still see, and I will, uh, I will mention five points here, um, because, uh, I mean, capacity is a main issue. Um, um, they don't have capacity enough to process all the cases that are there. Um, the National Anti-Corruption Bureau, they have asked for 300 more staff. There are 700 today. They need more detectives uh, to investigate. Um, and um, giving NABU more staff, then you also need more staff for the SAPU, for the prosecutors and for the High Anti-Corruption Court. Um, and um, uh, of course, it's, it's, it's uh, not easy uh, during times of war to find um, uh, additional budget. Uh, for, for, for these institutions. So, so that is actually um, uh, uh, an issue. Um, then um, one of uh, our partners here, the uh, Special Anti-Corruption uh, Prosecutor's Office, SAPO, um, what we hear from them is that um, there is a need to strengthen their independence. Um, it has to do with the um, uh, process whereby the head of TABU is selected. Um, it has to do with, uh, with SAPU's uh, um, close um, connections to the Prosecutor General's office. Um, so that is something I think uh, one should look into. How can, we, um, uh, how can Ukraine give SAPU uh, more independence so that it better can, 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 can do its work? 
Um, then we have the e-declaration system. We talked about it. It's suspended. And I think it was suspended by law on the 3rd of March last year. And I think we all understand why at that time, where no one knew how things would develop in Ukraine. Uh, it was suspended for, for, for um, security reasons uh, uh, and um, uh, also for not uh, somehow uh, giving uh, officials this extra burden to, to, uh, to, um, to fill out um, their declarations uh, during this time of war. But I think there's a general understanding today that um, uh, the, the situation uh, is, is now uh, much different and uh, that um, uh, that is time again to look at whether one can resume this system. Um, of course, one needs to look at, I mean, uh, other uh, different categories uh, of staff that should not be included, for instance, the military. Uh, and, and, uh, and there are probably some limits to what can be made public. Uh, but um, we, um, we see that discussion is ongoing now also in the parliament, and, and we, we think that's positive uh, and hope that, that something could will come out of that. Um, then there are other things one could mention. Uh, we uh, have um, for a long time worked on um, an electronic, electronic case management system for NARPO, SAPO, and the High Anti-Corruption Court. Uh, today, everything is uh, done by paper. Um, and it's, I mean, it's thousands of pages of paper uh, um, that are carried to the court, that are processed uh, manually. Um, and um, uh, we would like somehow to, to make the system much more efficient uh, and, and to digitalize the criminal processes here. Uh, we are quite far, uh, especially working with, uh, with NABU, uh, but we are, not, we are not there yet where it's complete. Uh, that is something one, one could do uh, and, and achieve some good results. Um, and then we need to look at some of the criminal procedures, not least uh, when it comes to the high anti-corruption court. Um, are there some of these procedures that could be more simple, uh, faster? Um, do they need to have um, three judges uh, um, overseeing each case, or could one say there are cases where it will be enough with one? Uh, but it would need some uh, legislative uh, amendments. Uh, but um, um, those are some of the things that we are, where we are providing recommendations and, and trying to push a little bit from, from our side. If I ask you about probably the the biggest uh, problem in this system, would what what would you say? Because uh, okay, okay, the, the capacity is a big problem, right? But this is rather a technical problem. There is a problem of political influence, and uh, you mentioned the the special anti-corruption prosecutor, which is connected. Um, with the general prosecutor, which is a political actually position, and depending on uh, on, on political figures, on, on the president, on on the parliament, uh, and recently with uh, I don't want you to comment upon the appointment of the new Nabu chief, but uh, there was kind of a discussion that Luke is probably having some political preferences, or at least he showed some political preferences to, more to Zelensky and rather than to his predecessor. Uh, do you think we are moving towards independence or rather there are risks of uh, dependence, of political dependence of these bodies? 
I think that the, the, the uniqueness of these new institutions um, is their, their uh, overall independence uh, uh, from, from um, political interference. Um, um, there's a, a, a certain issue with the, with the Special Anti-Corruption Prosecutor's Office um, because uh, there's a, an issue uh, in terms of your constitution here saying that there's only one uh, public prosecutor. So, um, so, uh, uh, so there are limits to um, how, um, how independent it can be. But I think there are things one can do uh, to strengthen that independence, including the whole process on how to choose its, um, it, the head of, of, of the institution. Um, I actually would like to say a few words about the uh, selection of a new director of NABU, uh, uh, because we were very closely following that process from the very beginning. Um, as you know, it, it, it was a very long, very comprehensive uh, process. Uh, we uh, um, uh, provided recommendations to the, to the legislation when that was finalized uh, a year and a half ago now. Um, and um, it follows some of the best practices in how to do that kind of selection in Ukraine. Uh, you had a selection uh, commission uh, with uh, six members. Uh, three of them uh, were international experts. They had the decisive vote if there would be like a tie in, within the commission. Um, you had uh, a number of tests uh, that the candidates had to go through, including ending up with a, a, an integrity test uh, and, and integrity interviews um, um, and um, I think with the information I have about how that process uh, evolved um, uh, we actually think that the result these three candidates that were nominated in, at the end uh, and then uh, those uh, out of these three then the prime minister decided it should be uh, one uh, of, of those three uh, but these three uh, uh, candidates um, are, in, 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 uh, as we see it, actually the result of a transparent and open process, merit-based, uh, and uh, it's actually difficult to see how, I mean, what more one could, one could do to make the process even more transparent and competitive. So, um, so um, um, we, um, we do not see any reason to question that process as such. That's good. That's, uh, that's a news that gives uh, some optimism. Russian propaganda is saying that Ukraine is a corrupt country and therefore there is no need to help it, including with weapons. And we see some also messages which are also present in Europe, present in America. How would you respond to it? Uh, is Ukraine strong enough? Is its anti-corruption infrastructure strong enough to prevent any any possible manipulation with foreign aid, including military aid? I will start by saying that uh, Russia has been engaging in this uh, uh, propaganda information war against Ukraine now for, for many years. And um, um, I don't think we should, we should give much uh, legitimacy to Russian views on corruption in Ukraine. Actually, I don't think Russia cares much about corruption in Ukraine. They have another agenda. I think we have seen that the last year or so. Um, and 
I remember a high-level uh, commission uh, official from the EU Commission last summer at a conference said that, uh, I mean, if, if Ukraine was as corrupt as Russia uh, and others uh, with Russia uh, uh, are, are saying, then, uh, I mean, the state would have collapsed with, uh, after the invasion, uh, the local authorities wouldn't be working, uh, uh, the society would not uh, be able to, I mean, would not be resilient to, to withstand what, what was happening. Uh, and I think there's a point here, um, um, but um, but I think you're also right that that, that uh, I'm not the specialist here. But one one gets uh, the impression that uh, uh, Russia has had some success, not least before the invasion, uh, to uh, um, convince some um, uh, also Europeans uh, that uh, that uh, uh, corruption in Ukraine uh, had a. a a dimension that somehow was uh, uh, making Ukraine a, a, a ruined state. Um, um, so, uh, so it's something one should be aware of that uh, that this narrative um, is not completely dead out there. Um, and I think that's also why some of um, um, your uh, civil society partners in Ukraine are somehow. Um, very sensitive, not somehow playing into the Russian propaganda in, in, in criticizing authorities and so on. I do think that the argument that if Ukraine was as corrupted as it's somebody some sometimes uh, pro, sometimes portrayed, like this notion endemic corruption, which we see in some uh, international press. Uh, if it were like that, Ukraine would not stand this invasion. Everything would have collapsed. Whereas we see that state institutions are strong and local institutions are strong. And that also tells us a little bit more about Ukraine. Uh, there is a big talk about post-war reconstruction. Uh, I frankly personally think it's too early to talk about this because we first need to win the war. But uh, of course this is on the agenda. This is being discussed. There are conference, international conference being made. And uh, on this question, uh, will Ukraine be able, with the help of international partners, to ensure full transparency of where the aid will go? I think there's, there's still, um, I mean, uh, uh, there are more questions than answers when it comes to this issue. Uh, it is uh, high on the agenda for, for the international uh, community and, and, uh, and also for the Ukrainian government. Uh, I was in, 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 in Brussels here uh, just a few days ago and, and clearly the whole issue of reconstruction and anti-corruption uh, was probably the main one during the meetings we had there. Um, and, and no doubt that, uh, that international partners, not least the EU, um, are very much aware of the corruption risks and are um, looking into what, what are the what are the modalities we can use to allocate aid to Ukraine uh, that will ensure there will be uh, a certain level of transparency and accountability and integrity in, in the reconstruction? Um, that work is sub to some extent still ongoing. Um, so, uh, um, so difficult to say exactly how, how, how it will end up. When we talk with, uh, with, uh, with the Ukrainian partners, um, also here we, we, we really sense that there's uh, some nervousness uh, and, uh, um, and the government is uh, very much aware that, that this is actually a question of, uh, of the um, um, 
uh, I mean, of, 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 uh, uh, of the trust in Ukraine by its national partners. I mean, if, if there will be corruption scandals uh, uh, around the whole reconstruction issue, it could have a really damaging uh, impact on, on Ukraine. Um, so I think, and, and somehow I think that's the... Uh, that, that's where, where, where you need to start. That 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 all the, the the key stakeholders here are aware that this is really an issue that is really really sensitive, and we need to find ways how to deal with it. Um, uh, that's like the first step, I think. Uh, uh, looking back at at this uh, a big Lugano conference last summer, where where reconstruction was the top issue, um, everyone agreed to the principles of transparency, accountability, integrity. And uh, and now um, uh, they're in the process of designing how how can that be done, uh, and uh, no one have all the answers yet. Um, we have met a few times with the with the management of the new Ministry of Restoration and uh, and the agency, uh, and um, uh, actually quite impressed by by their determination in in uh, preventing corruption. And in ensuring uh, some some mechanisms and procedures internally uh, that will be transparent and and uh, that will make officials accountable for their acts. Um, um, so um, a lot of good intentions, uh, but um, and and we also uh, we are also going to support the ministry uh, um, in, in in this work, uh, but uh, too early to say how it will develop uh, and. Uh, um, an issue here is also that is not that is not clear for for, any, for, for anyone. I think uh, what will be the role of Ukraine's anti-corruption institutions? Um, so um, many many questions and not many answers. And and yeah, it's too early to say. Yeah, of course. And uh, there are also two uh, two different I think indicators. The first indicator is how Ukraine was really reacting that fast on this shelling of the air energy objects, how quickly it was fixed with with the help of the international partners. And, uh, for example, uh, I've just returned from Kharkiv and there was a huge missile strike a few days ago and the city was cut from electricity for a few days because I think two uh, power stations were hit, two thermal power stations which were supplying the city. But still in a couple of days everything was back. So Ukraine kind of shows how quickly it can act. Uh, but on the other hand, of course, we understand the immense I- immense volume of the destruction. And I travel across Ukraine. Uh, and uh, if we talk about cities, well, cities are being reconstructed if they are in security. If we talk about villages, for example, I think it will be forever. The villages in the eastern Ukraine... I don't think that people will come back to, the, to it. So there is a huge question. And of course the question, because there are options like, okay, it, it should go to state budget, but Ukrainian civil actors say, okay, no, 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 it should be rather going to, uh, to international fund. Both options, I think, they have some positives and negative sides, right? And there should be probably a model fund which will be, um, which will be optimal. Maybe my last question, we are in the EU project and uh, uh, in the center of Kiev, and um, it's very important to talk about EU integration. 
I will not ask you the question about the EU membership, but I will ask you the question about EU candidate, uh, candidate status. So I personally was very much glad that Ukraine got the status, not so much even because of the final goal, but because of the fact that it, it is a new stimulus for reforms. I remember how much the stimulus was the idea of getting a visa-free regime with the EU. Unfortunately, Ukraine couldn't get use of it so much because first you got the pandemic and then and then you got the war. But um, the problem of when we got the visa-free regime with the EU, it seems that for Ukrainian authorities, this kind of a carrot, this major carrot disappeared. And then, therefore, people like me were starting to talk, look, we, we need another carrot. It's normal. We, we need another goal. And uh, EU membership is, of course, one of the goals. And uh, the candidate status gives you this, this incentive. So would you agree that candidate status can, is, is an incentive for more anti-corruption reforms? I believe so. Um, and, um, and not least because of the importance that, uh, that uh, the Ukrainian president and government attaches to, to, to EU membership. Uh, uh, and uh, I mean, we have seen how they have uh, um, been able to to react uh, very fast in in, in preparing uh, um, last spring for the uh, for the um, uh, opinions of the EU as the EU Commission presented, and that somehow paved the way for 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 the candidacy uh, status. Um, so yes, it it uh, it entails a uh, potential for new momentum also in the fight against corruption, and um, uh, you can say being a candidate country, um, there will be a much more. Um, uh, I mean, Ukraine will be much more closely scrutinized by the EU Commission, by the EU member states. Um, there will be a, a, a number of new instruments in place, uh, uh, annual progress reports. Uh, we have these. Uh, seven steps uh, that the Commission uh, has asked Ukraine to, to fulfill, uh, and other instruments as well. Um, and, and I think um, when, when you... And there's, there's a small dilemma here, and that is that uh, when you look at the, uh, at the EU regulation, the EU acquis, there's very little about anti-corruption. Uh, when you ask EU member states, what, what is the issue for Ukraine preparing for EU membership? Fighting corruption. Um, and um, um, it also means that it's actually to some extent up to Ukraine to, to, um, to, to decide and design how they're going to, to deal with this issue because they don't get much of guidance from the EU regulations. Um, and um, no doubt that... that um, um, uh, Within the EU, there's a great expectation that uh, this is where Ukraine needs to deliver significantly in the coming months and years uh, to be ready for EU membership. Um, it's probably issue number one. Uh, and um, um, uh, I think... Um, I, I, I think there's still an issue of, some, of raising some, of some awareness on the Ukrainian side, but it's actually will, will entail for Ukraine. Um, because it's not just a question of, uh, of uh, uh, adopting a piece of legislation uh, or creating a new institution. Um, 
uh, fighting corruption is 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 a, a structural thing. Uh, uh, where where it, it it I mean it has to be a combination of of uh, what you can do on the preventive side, um, uh, and and the law enforcement for for the high level officials. Uh, and um, while you have the structures in place. Um, uh, it's not enough in itself, uh, but it's it's the it's the it's the foundation is there. Uh, we just need to make sure they have more capacity. That uh, that uh, that's giving priority to the preventive uh, efforts, including now with the um, with the state anti-corruption program that uh, was adopted uh, uh, very recently, uh, and. Uh, it's a very ambitious plan for how to fight corruption in the next three years, um, with emphasis on, on all the preventive things that needs to be done, also within the different sectors, uh, education, defense, infrastructure. Um, so, um, so a number of institutions, a number of tools, documents are there. Uh, now, now we need to see um, uh, results. Uh, to a large extent that we have seen during the last uh, few years. Yeah, let's hope that there will be results. Alan Park Christensen, thanks so much for this conversation. Thank you very much. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Don't forget also to follow us at social networks, uh, at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and other places. You can also support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can support our volunteer trips to the frontline areas at paypal, ukraine.resisting, gmail.com. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.